Okay. So this Hi. is the beginning of the recording. Good morning, Rosie. Hi. Good morning, Hope. It's, it's morning. It is Sunday morning. Happy yes. Sunday. Happy Sunday. I'm I'm in my PJs and uh yeah, I'm nice and comfy. I have some ice chai here because it's a little bit warm in oh. PA, but not Super warm. I, I miss your ice chai so much all the time. It's so. It's I actually like, had. It's better than Starbucks because you make it spicier. Like Starbucks it spices in it, right? Yeah. Like Starbucks is just like sugar. Whenever I have it, no, unless I it's just like espresso in it, and then it's like I'm good. <laughs> it's it's like a <laughs> of chai spice, and then like after that, there's like nothing else. Yeah, no, no. I put like like peppercorns and cinnamon sticks and all kinds of things. So I, I made this one like a little extra spicy because I was gonna have to put a lot of ice in it. So it's because you're because it was hot and I made it this morning. <laughs> it's because you're. A but uh, yeah, all right. I just want to give you a quick Today. update, real okay. quick. We need to do like a light anecdote because we're gonna get heavy here in a second. But we I'm having heavy, yeah. it is fall, and I know I moved to the south, but I'm having a Honeycrisp apple. And it is like that dreary, like it's been raining all day and I cranked the AC. So it's like fall temperatures inside the house. Cause it's still like 80 degrees outside. So I'm also in my PJs and I have all these fall decorations up and fall is the best season. And that's a hill I'll die on. So that's just my that's fair. personal. I, I think fall is a really good season. I fall and winter are the ones that I like. I just don't like summer because it's too hot. Um, and I'm from Washington and we like, well, I'm from Western Washington, I should say, where the climates are temperate. Um, it's not the same way on the other side of the state, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, fall, fall is really, really great. Yes, it is. Just two white girls talking about fall. Um, yeah, we'll use that nice kind of like, uh, like easing in <laughs> to then switch it up on you and uh, start talking about something serious. The worst college. So, yeah. Is. The Electoral so, yeah. College. Definitely, uh, definitely, I think some of our opinions are going to creep their way into some of this because it's kind of hard to talk about some of the arguments without looking at both sides and so it's hard to just do straight pro con uh for me <laughs> at least so i i tried to be not as judgy about it uh but it's difficult uh but the history portion which is the first portion it's actually what we don't necessarily have to judge because it's literally just this is how it works mm -hmm. um so uh so how much how much did you know about why it was created um, and what it does beforehand. I read one article from the Atlantic about its racist origins. And that's kind of the only thing I looked into because, you know, school. <laughs> so that's all I had time for. No, I'm, I meant like before everything. Oh, oh yeah. I just, I understood it meant like, a, it like votes are actually a conglomerate of votes and they don't actually count like the popular vote doesn't exist or something like that. That was my general understanding okay. of it. All right. So, the, yeah, the popular vote, I mean, the popular vote can be tallied because, like, we know that it can because Democrats keep losing because of the popular vote not being the one that's counted. Uh, but, yeah, I looked up um, I looked up several sources and, ironically, actually, the best, like, the best laid out information I could find wasn't in, like, the 70-something page scholarly, uh, like, document about the history. That stuff... It, like it was the, a lot of information, but it was very bogged down. Um, I would say the best kind of like user friendly, but also very well researched one I found was actually about it was called the pro slavery origins of the Electoral College. Uh, so we'll talk about that later. Uh, but what we're going to talk about right now is uh, we'll go over a brief bit of how it was established. Um, so in 1787, they had the Constitutional Convention, which was not a convention for people who love the constitution. Um, it was before it existed. So it was a convention that was designed, you know, it's, it's a constitution con. Constitution con. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, it, effectively, they, they were getting together to, uh, I believe, alter the Articles of, of uh, Confederation, uh, which preceded the constitution. But 
uh, it ended up that in 1787, they spent uh, about three months writing the Constitution uh, because they were trying to start from scratch. But of course, they had, you know, a lot of the their understanding of government came from England. So it was a lot of fighting about like, well, you know, some people wanted to base it more off of how England does it. Other people didn't. Um, the I think it's very important to point out at the beginning um because people talk so much about like the founding fathers decided this was the right way. I think it's very important to talk about the fact that they actually put up a lot of different ideas and argued a lot about this topic. Mm-hmm. They, they did not, they were not all on the same page. Um, and basically it ended up being a compromise. Like it wasn't, it wasn't something where everyone was like, Oh yeah, that one, that sounds amazing. That was not at all it. Um, so it was basically, it was a bunch of uh, lawyers and political leaders at the time. Uh, they got together. Uh, they had a couple different methods they were considering. Uh, like, for example, uh, there was a person that proposed they have the House vote on it. Um, so, like, not the people at all. Um, There's another person said the entire legislature should vote on it. Um, they had... They had a couple different things, and most of them did not involve representation of the people in general, um, which is an interesting point. Then they ultimately, so they decided on the Electoral College, and we'll get into a little bit of why they decided on it later, because that plays into some of the arguments. But uh, they decided on the Electoral College, which meant uh, states were allowed to choose the method of deciding electors. Uh, So... When you're voting for president, you're actually kind of advising an elector or you're voting for an elector, depending on how your state decides it. But they said, okay, each state can decide how they get their electors. And so we have different methods in the U.S. of how to do that. So there's not really like one specific idea. And it also gets very murky when you're looking into like how are electors selected. Um, So I don't even know if I'm entirely clear enough to talk about that (laughs) right now because it's very... It's very confusing. Uh, but anyway, so there's there's these electors that are chosen in some way at the state. Sometimes they're chosen by the people. Sometimes they're chosen by the government. Um, and then the people would vote. So each person then does cast a vote saying, this is the person I want to be president. And then the electors would then, and this is a quote from, from her, or, uh, oh, this is a quote from constitutioncenter.org. Um, it says uh, that the they met up to filter public opinion through a deliberative intermediate institution. Uh, so what that means is they basically were taking it under advisement, <laughs> you know, saying like all the electors from, you know, one state are saying, OK, everyone's voting for, you know, this this guy for president, whatever. I'm not going to use specific examples because I don't want to pull history quotes and then say wrong things. But like, but yeah, if they just could say, you know what, everyone's saying we should vote for this guy, but we all agree that this one's better, and these are the reasons why, and we're going to decide to change this vote. Um, And when you do that, you're called a faithless elector, and there still are instances every once in a while (laughs) that that happens. Um, I believe, and I I feel bad because I don't have the info in front of me, uh, but I do believe that someone in Maine, like one of the electors in Maine, may have given Bernie Sanders uh, <laughs> some electoral votes um, or tried to. I don't know. I remember hearing something about that. So I'll, I'll look that up and maybe put like a little addition on the end of the podcast. Uh, but but yeah, so that's something that can definitely happen. So even when you go and say like, okay, so this number of people voted in Pennsylvania, this is the electoral votes this person should get. Uh, we might end up having electors say, mm, nah, we're going to go on the other side, uh, which it's not common, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, oh, we are talking about slavery now. I have it in my notes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then the other, the other part of uh, uh, a big, big, big factor in it um, was the three fifths compromise. Um, so the three, the three fifths compromise was also uh, decided upon at that time. Uh, so it was established at the constitutional convention. Um, it basically it gave states with a lot of slaves more representation um i mean slavery was legal in all of the states at that point um which we'll talk about later because it's one of the arguments against um saying that slavery was part of the origins but um i say i'm way too much uh it gives them more representation uh 
And that effectively means that five slaves would have been counted as three people in the population. Uh, so you have some states like, for example, uh, Vermont had 16 slaves. And then you have a state like Virginia, which has uh, over 292,000. Um, and so that was in 1790 at the census. So clearly, you know, one of those states is going to have a little bit more sway than another one. And that's directly because of those slaves. It's benefiting um, and, the and, South. Yeah. So it would have been benefiting the, yeah, the quote unquote South, which is effectively the area that had a lot of the plantations and had a lot of slaves. So they were getting more representation in Congress as states. Um but the slaves were getting representation, which is very important to point out. So really, it was a small group of, I mean, relatively small uh, group of white men <laughs> getting a lot more representation because they owned, you know, hundreds or thousands of slaves. So, so that was really, really a big part of it. And it's something that people don't like to talk about a lot. And I understand why you'd not want to talk about it, but it's very important because context matters, history matters, and we need to talk about that. And black um, lives matter. Yes, and black lives matter. <laughs> uh, so, you know, this is the kind of podcast that's going to be. Uh, we will talk about uh, some pro arguments, but yeah, all in all, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's looking not so great on the side of the Electoral College so far. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would like to, to point out, as I'm sure that, you know, someone listening might think, if you make the connection to slavery, I think the immediate jump that a lot of people are going to make is like, well, it's not associated with slavery now, so why does that matter? So it's one of those things that I think people will say, but like, I love your facial expression. You yeah, I know. I hate that. Like people can't see, but it does matter <laughs> because it, it clearly does matter because another argument people use is the founding fathers knew what they were doing. You know and I'm like? You can't take one without the other. You can't cherry pick like we, that. We still have to talk about slavery because people are still suffering the ramifications of said slavery. It's not over. It's not, yeah. it's something that's and, in, like, not our recent memory. Yeah, and, and it's completely understandable, this this idea of, well, my family didn't own slaves. I don't know why I should have to, you know, you know, I, I guess, I guess you could say, like, give up anything to other people, which you're really not. Um, like, you're just trying to even a playing field, you know, and they're, anyway, we don't need to get into evidence uh, about <laughs> how that necessarily affected uh economic areas with a lot of people of color because i don't think we have time and that also could be a whole topic in, in and of itself something um, that just keeps coming up for me is that like if things are done by the founding fathers how many years ago was that i think it's time for a lot of stuff to get a rewrite a rewrite exactly. or some editing some updating because yeah. it's 2020 things are much different yeah it's 240 243 yeah two, so it's 2020 now yeah the <laughs> the constitutional convention was in 1787 that's yeah it's 243 years ago the world looks different now it's different <sighs> it's like yeah 100% different yeah and it's yeah i i i think the idea that the founding fathers were right in everything just, all the time <laughs> Yeah, th that's that's an impossible standard to hold anyone to. And there's uh, there's I think there's a lot of issues that people have with with holding politicians to impossible standards um, generally. But I would say you can respect the founding fathers and still, you know, treat them as people who have their own flaws and they also have their own self-interests. Right. Um, and it's it's not, that is one thing that's directly relatable in politics back then and politics now. So I don't understand why we're looking at these at the, this set of people as, you know, like bastions of right. uh, integrity and all that. We need to take everything. Instead of just saying, yeah. Yeah. People. We need to take everything that they wrote literally and apply it to now because that's how rules work. No. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Constitutional originalism, which, you know, shout out to Amy Coney Barrett, I guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know that, yes, our next Supreme Court nominee 
if she gets confirmed, uh, could actually be taking the context of, well, of completely out of the interpretation of the Constitution. You know, like, it meant what it meant then, it means what it means now, and it's never changed. That's, oh, that's insane. Here's, I, <laughs> here's some Tina Belcher noises. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, okay. All right, well, let's move on. Let's go to, so that was our, that was our history that kind of devolved into like a, a bitch session about how people are not willing to let things change and evolve. Uh, so we'll move on to section two which is probably the most difficult section for me to research uh, because it's the pro-electoral college arguments, <laughs> which I mean, okay, all right, there's, there's like, okay, so there's a couple of them that I want to put forward first because they actually have a point that... <laughs> uh, they, they, they can't be immediately dismissed. Um, and so I think that the best, uh, the best example, um, I think, is when, when they argue that small states have a really hard time protecting their interests unless they have a little bit more representation. Because if you have a small state that doesn't have a huge number of people and there are larger states around it, or there's large states on the West Coast, for example, that like have <laughs> a lot more people in them than some other small states elsewhere, uh, that the small states might kind of get left behind in a popular vote because they don't have as much representation. Um, so people do argue like, oh, well, this was designed to make sure that the states had a fairer uh, situation like that. Um, I I don't think that that's true. Um, and even if that unfortunately, is case, like, can that be solved by like you have to have once you hit a certain number in the population, then you stop using it. But like, if you're below that number, like, there's a threshold where it makes sense to have it. It's really easy to talk about as two people who like are yeah. not politicians and like who <laughs> don't make these kind of rules, but uh, yeah, I, I I guess what I'm arguing here, well, sort of, so, like the argument is that it's it's designed to help the smaller states. Um, I think that is definitely a byproduct, but I don't think it was designed that way. So when we're talking about small states getting more representation, let's talk about how the states get representation because I think that's really important because. I didn't quite understand why that was true. Okay. Uh, so, so if you take, for example, uh, a state like like Pennsylvania has twenty electoral votes uh, because we have eighteen members of the House and we have two senators. Um, so, the members of the House are designed uh, to, or sorry, not designed. The members of the House are uh, the number is assigned based on the census and based on the population. Um, so each you have districts that have uh, that each have their congressional representative. Um, ours, yeah, ours used to have 19 and now it's had 18. Uh, but yeah, so that's a uh, that's how you decide on the electoral votes. It's senators plus house reps. Uh, but the senators there uh, are those two electoral votes that give you even more. So if you have a state where their population only gives them two electoral votes, they still get two more because of the senators. So that's does that kind of illustrate how people get a little bit more of a bump? Yeah, okay. So, so I hope that that's clear for listeners. Um, but yeah, effectively, the two electoral votes that every state gets can make it so that... Um, a state like uh, like Wyoming or like New Hampshire and stuff like that suddenly gets a lot more, or sorry, Iowa, I think was actually the one I meant to say, um, that they're more important during the primaries. Like the reason that people decide even to campaign so heavily in, uh, in states like New Hampshire and stuff like that, like it's because a four vote state could break a tie and, you know, their votes are going to have a lot more pull. So, so that's how that works. And I think that Protecting the small state's interests definitely is a valid point um, because that is something that the electoral the electoral college does do. Um, it gives them a little bit more say in electing a president, and I do think that that's a valid thing to think about. I I don't know whether that was designed into the constitution or if it's just a byproduct. So, um, so another reason uh, that people are looking. At the Electoral College and saying, no, no, it's the best thing it should stay is, and this is the argument 
that they give that also kind of relates to the founding fathers, but uh, they say that the founding fathers designed it that way because the average person is less informed. And so that deliberative institution, um, having the electors there would kind of create like a fail safe if a state goes crazy and wants, you know, someone who is just totally off the rails and wants to be president and the state decides to go for him. Theoretically, I guess that would protect it. But I don't last time. (laughs) So, And that's the thing. It's like, that's not how the Electoral College works anymore. The electors don't meet up to say, do we think that this should be the right call? They go up and they say, my state had like this number for this person, this number for this person. So this person had the highest. That's who I'm voting for. Like there isn't really um, a method through which there would be any protection. Um, that language kind for, of, from it from making like a stupid decision yeah the language kind of like implies a distrust of the citizens too which is like mm-hmm. not great um and i and i think that there probably was some of that um in the founding fathers reasons for wanting to do this um which doesn't make it good <laughs> but uh but yeah that's that, that they were not super trusting of local um, politicians or basically anyone who wasn't kind of in the insular group um, who were all a part of Washington and part of the creation of everything. Um, I say Washington, but actually the convention was in Philadelphia. Um, but, but you know what I mean? Like as far as like the government um, yeah. as such as it was already. So I think that they kind of didn't want people who weren't vetted to be in there and they were trying to create a situation where, you know, a bunch a bunch of people like what they call and i love this quote unquote mob rule which is just everyone getting to vote equally it would be mob rule because then everyone else would get they wanted not these people who did this and it's like i can understand that there might be some like some kind of integrity behind that and saying we want to do good things but i just can't doesn't seem like it in 2020. I can't find it yet. No. Yeah, exactly. And it's another thing that kind of, it doesn't apply because there is a lot of information out there. You can find it if you're looking. A lot of people aren't looking though. Uh, and that's, so if you found this podcast uh, and you're not one of our friends or family, thank you because you are looking for information. Um, <laughs> but it, but really like a lot of people aren't looking. Like, if you look on the news networks, you're, you're seeing the 24-hour news cycle that's not looking super far into anything. It's all headlines. Um, so really, in order to be an informed voter, you have to do your own research, which, I mean, it's tough, but you can. And it's honestly, it's not as tough as people make it out to be. I People, so. people I've found, as I've grown into an adult person, say things are hard when they're actually just either inconvenient or require a little bit more effort, which I understand is like the concept of hard. I mean, it's just like, it's inconvenient. It's not difficult. It's just going to take up more of your time. That doesn't mean it's hard to do. Yeah. It's a simple thing. You're just going to have to try. Have you tried trying? You tried trying. (laughs) So, so yeah. Uh, And there's, there's some more, kind of arguments for the electoral college but unfortunately those ones were kind of the biggest ones um so so like the other ones are and i'm gonna try to go through these a little bit faster um but the it's there's so i listened to a podcast that i feel no need to name because they did not cite any sources Mm. uh they this was unfortunately it was like the one conservative podcast that i could find about it i listened to I think most of the most of the like the podcasts of any length on Spotify that had electoral college uh, as their subject, I listened to them. There's a really good one with NPR that does have a conservative voice and a liberal voice, but mm-hmm. but this one, I, I I really I wanted to take a deep dive and said I'm going to listen to this hour long podcast um, that's very conservative because I want to know what they think. Um, and it was called. It was either the Electoral College is badass or the Electoral College kicks ass, but whatever it is. Um, But they didn't cite any sources. (laughs) They kept like randomly mentioning things that are related that made them sound intelligent, but then they didn't actually talk about how they're related and they didn't talk about why they're dismissing it. Like it was ridiculous stuff. They also only spent like maybe 15 minutes actually talking about it, maybe 20 minutes, but like 
it was insane. And they had Ben Shapiro on, who's, uh, he is a Republican, like, political commentator. He's written books, that kind of thing. Uh, and I was interested in hearing his thoughts on it. But even though that was, like, the subject of the whole show, allegedly, they didn't talk to him about that at all. They just talked about Israel. And I'm like, well, that's interesting, but it's not what I came here for. So anyway, um, so if anyone does find a conservative podcast that talks about this, I would love to hear it because wanna, they spent very little time talking about it. I want to give, <laughs> sorry, go on. I want to give people who don't have the same opinion is the benefit of the doubt. And I want to assume that like, we all have the same goal of like understanding each other and trying to get on like a level playing field and at least a level of like respect, but it's really hard. Well, they're just not backing yeah. stuff up. Like you can't, you can't just say things. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then when you when you ask people to back stuff up, they're like, "Oh, you haven't heard," and I'm like, "Well, you're not explaining it, so right. no." And then you ask them to cite sources, and they're like, "Well, I don't have." I literally had someone say, "I don't have time to post this stuff for you guys," and like then put like a long thing about how the sources I was using were wrong, and I was like, "Well, I would think it would have been considerably." No, this was a different time. Oh, no. <laughs> this was just yesterday. And I was like, and I was like, I, I would love to read it if you do have a source. And actually, it would have taken a lot less time for you to just like copy and paste a link. So what are you doing, bud? You you get uh, mad that I'm pointing out that you don't have any resources to back this up is not yeah. having your case. I mean, I'm not. I'm holding you to the same standard that I hold my liberal friends to. Like, I'll point out if things are wrong or if they're photoshopped or like whatever it is. And I think that, I think it's a sense of, like, victimization on both sides sometimes. Um, but, like, it's like you feel like you're the victim and so you're just saying, like, no, 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 you're all wrong and keep everyone outside. It's definitely, like, when people are trying to have a conversation, it's like, yes, my point is, is to argue my point. But if you will argue your point as well, I'll listen to you. It's, like, a lower level of, like, almost, like abuse tactics and like gaslighting because you say something being like hey i don't think you're right and mm -hmm. then they make you feel like you've done mm -hmm. something wrong for pointing out that they didn't come to the table with all the stuff that you came to the table with yeah yeah well yeah like so for example in this podcast that i'm not going to give the name of because i don't want to give them the time of day um well i'm giving them the time of day by talking about them but i'm not going to identify them uh is at one point they're like uh yeah, at one point, like they digressed, and we were talking about the the, the pro slavery origins, basically saying it wasn't true. Okay, I, whatever. Um, and then at some point, they start talking about Lincoln, which doesn't have anything to do with the Constitution. Uh, and then they like referenced that liberals would say that the the two parties are switched, and I'm like, yeah, they are, because you're trying to hold up Lincoln as a Republican, and he wouldn't have been he's a been Republican today. Like the parties her. really have switched. Like, but he's like, they just referenced it. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then moved on. And I'm like, oh, oh. so your so your conservative listeners are going to hear that. They're going to think you know what you're talking about. Um, and maybe you do. And maybe that's why you didn't say anything about it. That's but like, hurt. they're going to decide like, oh, well, this guy said it. So that's right. And then they go spout it off to everyone else. Oh my God. And it's just so irresponsible. So anyway. Anyway, now that, we've now that we've digressed. <laughs> anyway, so so the other the other little um the other little uh things that I found that could be used as an argument. Um uh let me see here. Majority versus plurality. Um so in this country, uh the electoral college does work better for the two-party system, uh, which I mean, we don't need to have a two-party system, so that argument doesn't really hold weight for me because I don't like the two-party system. Um, I believe in ranked choice. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but so a majority, uh, which is not required here, but would be required in a just straight-up democracy, is uh, when a candidate gets more than 50% of the votes. Um, so that seems like a reasonable way to decide a winner, and that's how a lot of countries do it. Um, what we do is a plurality. Um, so what that means is if uh, if in an election, one candidate gets uh, 45 percent, one gets 43 percent, and then like the other like third party candidates get like the rest of it. So at that point, the 45 percent person wins, even though they don't have a majority because they have a plurality. Uh, so it, it seems like this is a big point that conservatives like to make about the Electoral College. 
but it's like only kind of related because like yes this is a system that exists but what we're saying if we're against it is that it shouldn't so that doesn't really have any basis on it but it kept coming up so i'm just going to put it out there because it kept coming up um a lot of people another thing that kept coming up was this is a republic not a democracy okay it okay yes it is a republic it's a democratic republic it's kind of a hybrid that is true but that can be changed <laughs> and that's part of what people who want the electoral college to be gone are talking about mm -hmm. uh let me see here oh they also argue that people who want the popular vote are just the loser democrats and they're looking for a short-term solution because the popular vote has been in their favor in recent years um and i think it's easy to look at this if you're not looking in depth and just say like oh yeah like they just like they just haven't been served well by it so they want to change it but that's not that's not why. I mean, at least that's not, that might be why for some Democrats, that's not why I, and I'm not a Democrat, but that's, I'm an independent, <laughs> um, but that's not why I, so, yeah, that's not why I support the popular vote. I literally just want people to have their own voice. Uh, um, okay, so. As a vote, the end. It shouldn't be that complicated. Uh, they, oh, they, they said slave states. This Okay, so this is an article that oh dear well i'll put this up on the website we'll put up all our sources on the website um mm -hmm. but i found an article that basically argued that it doesn't make sense to talk about slavery when you're talking about the electoral college because slavery was legal in all the states but we've already talked about how there were far more in some states than others and how that actually did skew things a lot um so we already know that that's ridiculous um the other thing is that it upholds federalism which supports states rights um so uh, yes, uh, I suppose it does, um, because it kind of concentrates power in the state, and then the state then gives that power to the government. And so I guess that kind of depends more on your worldview, what you think of that. Like, do, do you want, are, is our state's rights so important that you keep the Electoral College and disenfranchise some voters, mm -hmm. I suppose, is, is, is my view on it. Um, so that's so. Those are the pro arguments, and we're also kind of doing con arguments in there as well because it's really hard not to. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So now some cons. Well, we've talked about a lot of the cons. Um, discourages voter turnout. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so is so. You're in North Carolina. Is North Carolina a red state? It usually goes red. I'm in a liberal area of a red state, mm -hmm. just like I was in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they went, because in Mamrie Hart's book, the one that I lent to you recently, she- Yeah, I'm I'm almost done with that, actually. It's amazing. She has, it's pretty good. Um, she has- <laughs> Shut up, Mamrie Hart. <laughs> she has a whole chapter about like the day in 2016 when it happened, and she was so disappointed in North Carolina for going red. So I think it was like almost could have been blue, but then it wasn't Okay. because it's so much in between the cities. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like around Wilmington, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of like Black Lives Matter stuff and there's a bunch of pride flags. Feel very safe here. <laughs> well, that's good. But then, you know, yeah, so like, you get Trump rallies at the park, too. So it's like kind of it's anybody's yeah. game. Well, well, I guess the reason I bring that up is like I'm wondering like how many North Carolina voters are, you know, wanting, or may, probably not in this election, honestly. Um, but I wonder if in the past there have been uh, a lot of instances where Democrats or people, you know, independents or whatever, just didn't vote because they felt like it wasn't going to count because North Carolina is always going to go red. Um, that's that's something that I kind of wonder about. And and also, like, so when I um, when I talk about Pennsylvania, it's because I live here. Uh, which you know, but everyone else may not know that. Um, <laughs> but so I live here in Pennsylvania, but I'm from the state of Washington. And uh, I moved here in about 2015. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, was it 2015? Yeah. So I moved here 2015. Um, and I originally hadn't changed my residency uh, because it's just a pain in the ass to do. Uh, and I was also doing seasonal contracts and wasn't sure I was going to be here for very long. But when I did end up getting an apartment here with my boyfriend at the time, my husband, now, uh, we uh, we both made sure that we knew where a polling place was and I got myself registered 
in PA specifically because I knew that Washington was going to go blue, um, which is something that isn't, um, it's not like they're all Democrats. Uh, and in fact, in the 20 or not in the 2020 election, that hasn't happened yet. Um, in the 2016 election, 38% went for Trump in Washington, but it just shows you where like, I was like, oh yeah, they always go blue. Cause it doesn't matter what 40% of the, th the state thinks as long as the electoral votes always go to the Democrats. Like it's right. It's unfair to Republicans and Democrats. But like I grew up in PA where it's like a very important state for the election because you got Philly and then you got Pittsburgh and there's these two huge blue circles and then the rest is just red. Yeah. And so it's, it's another example of like, it could go either way. You don't know. Yeah. And that's, but that's, I, I didn't really understand before I understood more about the electoral college. I didn't really understand why there were like battleground states and like states where they did a lot of heavy campaigning. Uh, so I was watching Veep and I'm like, wait, there, is there, where's, why is the reason that they're doing this? You know, like, what, like, why are they always going to Iowa? Why are they always going to New Hampshire? Like this stuff, but like, like it is a lot of it because of the electoral college. And so being in one of those states now that's like swing state, battleground state, whatever you want to call it, is very interesting. And I think it makes me a little bit more aware uh, because certainly when I was living in Washington, I actually like had the opinion that most of Washington would be voting Democrat, which I mean, technically the majority usually does, but like, it's not a high majority. So it's interesting just to look and see how, how things are split up. And also, I think that's a good point to, to make on the, uh, the con side for the electoral college is, um, oh, and this is really, really important. Um, it's winner take all. Um, that's the thing that I hadn't talked about before, but it's a really important point on the con side, I think, because winner take all means that the, so PA is 20 electoral votes will go to whoever wins, whether it's Biden or Trump. Um, they don't split them, but it seems ridiculous because you have, you have Pittsburgh and Philadelphia that are, like you say, the big blue circles. Mm -hmm. So like, even if they only got a quarter of the votes or like, whatever it is, you know, it'd still be nice to have like three, four votes go <laughs> to the, you know, the candidate who actually gets them. Um, so I oh, think that, that is fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Like to make it fair, it does seem like it would have to be like, you know, sorted out so that percentages went to each candidate, but that's not how it works. And it's very weird because then it's like the state's voting as a unit and it completely, like, it really does make the votes of a large group of people not count. <gasps> Is that for um, every state or just Pennsylvania? Oh, no, that's that's for that's for almost every state. Um, what? Well, no. It, 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 OK, so it is win, winner take all for every state. Um, but let's talk about the national popular vote. Wow. Hope's like spinning around and freaking out. Did you not know that? I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> it is. It's winner take all. That's so, so stupid. So that, yeah. So that's election night when they're looking at the map and they're like, like, who's North Carolina going to go for? Like, it's because they're tallying the votes to see how many. And then if it goes red, it means all those blue votes don't, don't mean anything. Yeah, they're not there. They and then, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, it, no, it's fucked. No, I won't have any and, of and that. It, honestly, it's oh. fucked either way. Like, no matter where you stand on the politics uh, of it, no matter who you support, like, the idea that all of your state's weight would go to one candidate, regardless of, you know, almost 40% of the state voting for someone different, in the case of my home state, Washington, I don't think that's fair. Like, like, like I'll look at the, the, the last election. I don't think it's fair that Hillary got all of the votes. I voted, like, I would have voted for her if I was in Washington. I voted for her in PA because I just thought she was the better candidate. Not the best, but the better candidate. Uh, but, but I still don't think it's fair that she got all of the votes in all of the blue states and that Trump got all of the votes in all the red states because it doesn't actually give you an accurate idea of how the country is voting and what people really think because like i'm in a quote-unquote red state um and i i mean i see it more around here but you into pittsburgh and it doesn't seem like a red state which which is an odd thing to say but you know what it means yeah. like 
when something seems like a red state, seems like a blue state. You, you've yeah, so the, that's, yeah. You've heard the quote where there's a, I think it was a politician, but he said something like, Pennsylvania is Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Alabama in between, because it's so red when you get out in the country. Okay, this is like, that's that, that shit is like being in a class of what my high school teachers used to call banshees, and everybody gets in trouble because, like, three people were acting up. It, oh, that, yeah. That's what it's like. What, oh. oh, I have a really good analogy for this, oh, actually. for it. Um, Here. So when, for I, it. when I was 13 years old, uh, I was on the football team because I just decided to make the point that I could. I wasn't good at it at all. <laughs> uh, because I, Well, because as a girl... Uh, I had never been given the opportunity to do it. So I had to be like, no, I'm going to do this as opposed to having someone say, are you interested in learning this? And so they already knew how to play football and no one was there to teach me. So I was literally like studying football for dummies, Aww. like in the locker room and then like coming out and being like, okay, so I'm a safety. What does that mean? You're so uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I did that and I made it through the whole season um, and I was better than one kid because he went and climbed a tree during practice and I didn't do that. So I wasn't the worst person on the team. But anyway, right. I digress. Um, <laughs> anyway, so at some point, um, something in the locker room, and I do remember what happened, but it was actually pretty horrifying. So I'm just going to not say it, but something in the boys locker room happened um, that where like a seventh grader was bullied. Um he wasn't hurt, but he was bullied in a way that was inappropriate. Oh. Um, and so they decided the team should be punished. And so we all had to run lines, including me. I had no access oh my to God. the boys' locker room. I could never have been a part of that. I could never have even known about it until that happened, but I still had to run lines. And when I brought this up to the coach, he was like, he was like, well, the whole team has to. And I thought to myself, and I was like, if I make a big stink about this, then I'm the girl who didn't do the thing that all the boys did. So I'm not going to do it. But it's but it's kind of like that. Like, it's there was absolutely no way that I could have had any involvement in it, but I still got in trouble. And that's kind of the thing where it's like, if you vote for the guy who, uh, or if you voted for the person who, you know, maybe wouldn't do the things that you see the president doing, <laughs> then it's frustrating to know that more people voted for the other person um yeah but yeah it's, so it's like yeah it is it's like being punished even when you did everything you could yeah undo, to do the right. undo punishment yeah um Moving so, so I, mean, I would say democrats are really salty about it but that's why um yeah. all right so let's see here what do we have um yeah so we just talked about winner take all um yeah battle set battleground seats get more attention in campaigns which i Honestly, I think that like the state unit voting method, basically it's created campaigns that I don't think are very helpful to the people because I think that people are getting less information about the candidates and more like just rhetoric and people just like, like vote for this person, vote for this person, vote for this person, you know, whereas if it was a nationwide thing then it wouldn't be like, oh, we're favoring different states. It could be like, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm making these campaign stops so that everyone in the area who wants to can come and see me speak, you know, as opposed to like, you know, I, I have your state's best interest at heart. Cause obviously like you can't as a president keep all of those promises. And I know that we have like a big political system that wants to make promises we can't keep, but, but it does seem like the campaigning is more about like, Oh, we have to win this state rather than we want to convince the most people. Um, and that's directly because of the Electoral College. Can I read a quote um, from that uh, yes. Atlantic article I had? So it says, among the Electoral College's supporters, the favorite rationalization is that without the advantage, pol politicians might disregard a large swath of the country's voters, particularly those in small or geographically inconvenient states. Even if the claim were true, it's hardly conceivable that switching to a popular vote system would lead candidates to ignore more voters than they do under the current one. Three quarters of Americans live in states where most of the major parties' presidential candidates do not campaign. What? Yay! Yeah, I know. And actually, so I was thinking about this today. I've seen three. I mean, not seen, but like, like I, I saw Bernie when he came, and I would have seen Biden this year if if it was not a pandemic. But, um, but there there have been I think three presidential candidates, um, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Joe Biden 
or most recently, um, and Trump, when he was campaigning the first time, I think, um, all came to Erie, which is, I mean, it's not a big place, but it's important because of like, you, know, you think about like steel workers and stuff like that. It's that kind of business that and people are kind of concerned about getting those voters. It's the Pennsylvania swing. Yeah. And it's, it's trying to, cause Erie can go either way. Cause there's so many colleges, which usually swing more democratic, mm-hmm. but there's people who were like born and raised here in the industrial belt who are more conservative. So like, there's no yeah. way to know with Erie. It's yeah, it's interesting, but like, yeah, so I was in Erie, but I I've seen more, I, I, I've seen way more campaigning and more like attention in Pennsylvania than I've seen in Washington because as I mentioned before, like Washington's going to go blue. Like there'd have to be something very significant. They'd have to be a very significant shift, I think for Washington be- because a lot of the, a lot of the uh, Republican voters, not all of them, there's definitely Republican voters in the, uh, the west portion of the state, but I think there's a lot more in the eastern portion of the state, but that's also a lot of farming area, so it's less densely populated. Oh, which which actually, um, I do want to address that. So uh, the population density is also something people talk about a lot with the Electoral College, either in favor or not in favor of it. Um, the, the idea that the Electoral College um, is helpful in that regard is kind of like what you were talking about a little bit, like hard to reach areas and stuff like that. So there's like, excuse me, um, like farming communities. It, I, I'm sorry, I'm having a carbonated drink and I like, you know, burped a little bit. Uh, so yeah, you were talking about that. And it's really worth talking about because it does mean that highly populated cities are going to have probably a higher concentration of voters that are going to vote a certain way. And also cities tend to be a little bit more liberal, but I think the ultimate, and we're, we're in the last 15 minutes now, which was our designated time to give our opinions. Um, <laughs> so designated loosely, uh, <laughs> but uh, it seems like, I mean, it seems like really to give a fair election, it should be one person, one vote, and you should have a majority deciding who becomes the next president, um, if that's in a two-party system. Uh, because, like, yes, there are more people in the cities, and I'm not saying I'm against people who aren't in the city. I mean, I'm not in a huge city, and I do like living in the country. We would like to at some point, but mm-hmm. that doesn't change my political views in a lot of other ways. Um, I understand there are economic factors that really factor into people's decisions, uh, especially if you're an owner of a business, especially if that business is in one of those areas that's not in a city center. But it also, it's just looking at like, well, what do most Americans want? Um, I think that's the most important thing in elections. And it seems like the Electoral College isn't there to answer that question or to uh, give Americans uh, what we want. It seems like it's there to serve the two-party system and to kind of serve the people who might stand in the way of the general population making a decision. Right. Um, and and I understand a lot of our decisions are made this way. Like, you know, you vote and you like, you know, you talk to your senators, or your representatives about how they're going to vote on an issue and you, you know, elect people who are going to lead well. So there's a certain amount of trust you have to put into it. Um, but I don't think that that's a good argument for having it as our system. I really don't. Uh, because, yeah, we, we do. I think we do need representatives. Um, I think... It's good to have a leader of a country if it needs to be a, a president like we have or a prime minister or whatever it is. I think it's good to have a leader and it's good to have also checks and balances on that leader. But I think that the elections should really take into account the feelings of most of the people in the country. Um, and when most of the people in the country are voting for the person who doesn't ultimately win the election, which has happened to, I think, five presidents and two within this millennia, <laughs> uh, this very young millennia, uh, then we need to just kind of reconsider what we 
thought was a good system. Um, the founding fathers are fallible. They're are fallible. They they were fallible. <laughs> Their works now are fallible. Uh, they were made in the context of the 18th century, which was over 200 years ago, and they just don't. They didn't have the same world then as we do now, and I think it's completely fine to evolve with the times uh, because you know we don't have slavery now. Like that's a huge shift. So maybe we can change this institution that was actually heavily influenced by slavery. <laughs> So that's uh, so that's my, I think it's like, like my kind of my final thoughts on that. What are your final thoughts? I'm just thinking about how, like, like I was saying before with like looking stuff up, people call it hard when it's actually inconvenient. It's going to be inconvenient to change things and it's going to take a lot of energy. But like if it benefits people, I don't understand how people can just be like, this is the way things have always been. And that's how we're going to keep doing it. It's like, why? Why? Like, I don't. It just seems lazy, like to me. It feels lazy. Oh, Hamilton, don't give up your shot. <laughs> Change things. I mean, Make it better. Well, you combine the don't give up your ship and I'm not throwing away my shot. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what I did. Lynn <laughs> <laughs> Manuel, if you ever hear this, we can do I'm it. I'm not throwing away my shot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, we have opportunities to change things. We just have to actually do it. And that's, uh, oh, and there are actually people who are, who tried, I don't know if the national popular vote interstate compact is still in effect or if it's just something that was kind of proposed and people tried to, but, uh, but what that was effectively was a bunch of states got together and said, or I guess people proposed it and then some states decided to join it. And it was a compact saying we will give the votes the, our electoral votes to the candidate that has the most po- of the popular vote in that state. Uh, but I think that that, I don't think it's the right way to do it. I do think we actually need to change the system because the critics of it, I think, are right when they say it's really hard to actually put that into practice because you might end up voting against like a huge portion of your state. Um, you might end up you know, voting, being a faithless elector, that kind of thing. Um, So I really don't think that that's a reasonable solution. I think we actually do need to change the way that we do our elections, which is going to be huge and a big thing. Uh, But I think it's really a good thing to do. Um, And my particular little shout out I want to give is to rank choice voting, because I think that will be the best way. And it's actually been adopted in Maine for the 2020 election, um, which would be very interesting. But effectively, what rank choice voting is, is that like, you have this many candidates, and it's you say either my first choice, second choice, or first, second, third. But effectively, what it is then is that if the vote, if the person you voted for first, doesn't get the number of votes to be like in the running, then your vote goes to your second choice, like as opposed to the complete opposite of what you want, you know? And of course that would mean we probably won't end up having a two party system if we had ranked choice because you'd have more people. So that does mean you have to do more research, but it's better because I mean, for example, take like people who voted for Trump because Bernie was knocked out of the race, you know, like for ranked choice, they could have said, Bernie's my first choice. Trump's my second. That was because of gun rights. If that's what you're, it looked like you were confused. No, I was mad. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, but it's like they could have like like if if we had ranked choice voting and it wasn't this like strict two party system, they you know you could have said these are my choices and Hillary's like my last choice or like don't even put her on there if you don't like her. That's fine. Like then you still have Bernie Sanders as the first choice and hey maybe that would have changed things. But. <laughs> That hurts to dream about. That's what we're talking about. It does. It does hurt to dream about. And there's no point about it now. Um, but but anyway, so that's, that's just sort of to illustrate ranked choice. And if you don't know much about that, you should look it up. But we don't have that much more time um, because I have an hour long session for this. And we're at 54 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, so I want to make sure to um, and we can plug a couple of people and businesses that we want to at the end here. Okay. Just a moment, Hope. Because <laughs> I want to make sure we mention our website and I wrote everything down so I didn't forget our Instagram handle. Uh, our website is www.avagueknowledgeofeverything.com. 
uh, and that's on Squarespace. And right now our episodes aren't up, but I will be putting them up later today. So it should all be fine, even if it's just a link to Spotify. Um, we are also on Spotify as a vague knowledge of everything, which you probably know because that's where you found it. So I don't know why I mentioned this. Uh, <laughs> uh, Twitter. Uh, we also have a Twitter. Our handle is at vague underscore of, which isn't great. And I'd like to change it, but I don't know if I can right now. Um, and then our Instagram handle is VKOE underscore podcast. Uh, and that's all. All of those are all lowercase. Uh, but if you want to follow us or look us up on there, that would be great. And um, if you're listening to this and it's uh, not relatively old, you might be one of our first, you know, 10 followers. Uh, so those are the things I wanted to uh, get out of the way so that they were mentioned. But we're going to use this last five minutes to talk about some businesses that we like and just give them some free press. So Can I say something? Oh. I, also, yeah. if you want to fact check us with resources... And backups for things that you have yep. fact checked yourself. If we got something wrong, please let us know. Cited resources, yeah, cited, cited resources, yes. absolutely. Um, and and you can you can message us on any of those things that I have. Uh, yeah, any of those things that I talked about. Our website does have a contact uh, with our email on it as well. So you're gonna have to do a little bit of work if you want to email us. Go find that. But uh, yeah, absolutely. If you want to fact check us, please go ahead because we want to make sure that we're giving accurate information and we don't want to be in an echo chamber. Your your our vague knowledge might be more vague than your vague knowledge. So please help us. Absolutely. Become might have vague in our life. <laughs> um, yeah. And we have a whole list that we brainstormed of subjects we want to talk about, but if you have requests or suggestions, we're open to those as well. Um, Absolutely. Can I give a shout out to Dicks for Good? Here's a shout out for Dicks for Good. My sister draws dicks for charity. She makes little cartoon sticker dicks. Rosie just got a custom one, and it looks just like her. It is very funny. Um, so if you yeah. have uh, people who would enjoy that type of humor or people that you want to piss off with that type of humor, you can go to at dicks number four good on Instagram and you can order stuff from there. She has an Etsy shop as well. Yeah. So, and our, um, yeah, our, the VKOE underscore podcast, uh, our Instagram actually does follow dicks for good as well. So follow you can go there and find it. Yeah, she did follow. Back. I want to, I want to have one um, more, just thing, okay. just anecdote about the stuff we were talking about. Gracie, my younger sister, is also going to grad school right now for sociology. And we were talking about stuff because the stuff we're talking about is kind of related in our uh, master's programs. We're just we were talking about like they're, uh, we're due for a collapse. Like as a country, we're due for a mental breakdown. It's coming. If you can't tell, you're not paying attention. But like. We're due for like it's a mental health day. In the middle of it. <laughs> it's hard to know unless it's until it's over. And then you're like, oh, that's what that was. But yeah, mm -hmm. if things are falling apart, it's it's not good. But it's not always all bad. Yeah, and, and when things fall apart, that's when you rebuild them. And so, like, for example, with the election that we're having that's getting very, very intense, um, that's why I say I want to change the system. Um, I, have, I have that, like, image of Daenerys from uh, Game of Thrones who, like, I don't want to stop the wheel. I want to break the wheel. But then she wouldn't burn a bunch of people with a dragon. So I think I'll just... Uh, Listen, season eight was terrible. That's, like... <laughs> I feel like that's what I have in my head. Like, I don't want to work within the system. I want to change the system. We can have a whole so, but, Game of Thrones debrief if you'd like. Yeah. Call Wilmer and we can let him just talk. I can't. <laughs> I can't. All right, we're down to a we minute. Had a, we, we are down to a minute. Um, I Yes, yeah, so we shout out for Dicks for Good. Oh, I also wanted to shout out to uh, our own thing. Uh, Captain Pedantic is there's yeah. a link to this. On the website, it's not related to what we're talking about today, but uh, I run a YouTube channel called Captain Pedantic, and it is where tall ship sailors, uh, former and current, um, such as myself and Hope and a bunch of our friends talk about sailing in the movies. And we have two videos up so far, so it's a very new channel. Uh, we have uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is the first one, and I think that one's very entertaining. And then we have Captain Ron, which is a lesser known film, but uh, yeah, they're both real fun and we had a lot of time uh, a lot of time a lot of good time making them <laughs> and uh master yeah. commander coming down the pipe. 
Master and Commander coming down the pipe. Uh, and next week on this podcast, we will be talking about the difference uh, between polyamory and polygamy. Yeah. So, so not political, but it will be very interesting. All right. All right. I'm Rosie and facts matter. I'm Hope. And now that you know better, go do better. Thank you for listening to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. Here are our sources. Websites. SaveOurStates.org ConstitutionCenter.org House.gov NationalArchives.gov www.ncsl.org Articles. The next four articles can be found on Google Scholar. Uh, they're free, and there are PDFs. How the Electoral College Influences Campaigns and Policy, The Probability of Being Florida, by David Stromberg, American Economic Review. The Pro-Slavery Origins of the Electoral College, by Paul Finkelman, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. The Origins and Constitutionality of State Unit Voting in the Electoral College, by Matthew Festa, Vanderbilt Law Review. Ideological Endowment. The Staying Power of the Electoral College and the Weaknesses of the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact by Daniel P. Rathburn, Michigan Law Review, First Impressions. Um, this article can be found on The Atlantic, The Electoral College's Racist Origins. Uh, we also listen to NPR's podcast on Spotify on The Electoral College. Thank you again, and have a good evening. <laughs>